Today on Not Sam Wrestling, coming off of the Rebellion pay-per-view, AEW and New Japan open the forbidden door. Bret Hart could have signed a contract, and Randy Orton's career is 20 years old. This is Not Sam Wrestling. The- this is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York. Here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to 392. Not Sam Wrestling. I don't know if you heard there in the intro. I hit one button by mistake and then a second button and I turned the first one off. It is what it is. It's staying in. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. This is our 392nd episode. I got to trust my instincts at this point. We're almost 400 weeks deep, right? Man, speaking of... uh, accomplishments. I hope you're all doing well. I hope this is going to be a good week for all of you. If you're listening to the show on the day that it comes out, if my calendar doesn't lie to me, then today, Monday, April 25th, 2022, is the 20-year anniversary of Randy Orton's first televised WWE match. 20 years ago, Today, at the time of this podcast being published, Randy Orton walked out on SmackDown for the very first time to face Hardcore Holly. It was a very interesting time in the WWE in 2002. That was obviously, there was a a talent influx kind of coming in. That's where we saw over the course of, you know, really only a couple of years, Randy Orton, John Cena, Batista, Brock Lesnar, and everybody started to take the reins. Um, And it was really interesting because, especially when we look at it today, WWE certainly moves in cycles. Obviously, at this point, WWE is back to a space where they're kind of introducing characters. You know, when they bring somebody on TV, they either try to give them a character, they change the names, like it's all being thought about. In 2002, there was a, a different school of thought. The reason... Randy Orton is Randy Orton is Randy Orton, and John Cena is John Cena is John Cena. Brock Lesnar is Brock Lesnar, who, by the way, might have the most perfect real name for wrestling in any era. There's no way that anybody would have thought of a better name for Brock Lesnar than Brock Lesnar. But even Batista, I mean, I guess they they took a U out of his name, but that feels like it was more for pronunciation purposes than IP purposes. Basically, at this time... People were coming in as themselves, as athletes, and just going like, all right, let's see what you got. And this was coming on television. You know, they were spending time in developmental, but developmental was not NXT. Developmental was not uh, you know, it was not a perfectly orchestrated, scaled-down version of what they could come to expect on television. It was very, very different in the early, early 2000s. So... Basically, they brought Randy in, and and as they did with a bunch of people, Cena being one of them, and said, here's the deep end, sink or swim. Uh, Randy came out in his, uh, I guess, mock Adidas, maybe bootleg Adidas trunks. You know, he had the stripes on him, but I don't think Adidas made him, with his name on the on the tushy, and uh, had his match with Hardcore Holly, his first match in the WWE, which in 2002 the idea of a kid having his debut match against Hardcore Holly. It, well, it's not the least intimidating thing in the world. I just put it that way. Um, I don't think that today is the day to do a full Randy Orton retrospective. You know, today's not going to be my Randy Orton show the way I've done for Bray Wyatt and Razor Ramon and Rey Mysterio and all those people. Because, believe it or not, 20 years in, Randy still has quite a bit of story to tell. And Randy's talked about that. He was on Pat McAfee's show over WrestleMania, and he thinks he's still got 10 years left in him. And I believe it, man. Randy Orton's career has certainly moved in waves. And if nothing else, you can call Randy one of, if not the most, consistently good performers ever. I can't think of another person to be as consistent 
as Randy has been over the last 20 years, it's really remarkable. It's interesting, too, because most people end up with a spotlight on them after they've gone through quite a few growing pains. You know, most people are afforded the opportunity to really figure out who they are before the biggest spotlight in the world is shined on them. And that wasn't the case for Randy Orton. Randy, as a performer, had to go through all those growing pains in front of the world. And it's very, very difficult to evolve, for lack of a better term, into the performer that you're going to be in front of the same audience that saw you before that evolution, no pun intended. You know, it's really difficult to come in as, 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 as one thing and evolve in front of the same audience into this other thing. But Randy's been able to pull it off maybe better than anybody else has. Um, you know, I think the first really good thing that Randy did in his career, I think the first thing that made me kind of take note, because when he first came in, you know, he had the Caesar haircut and everything. And, you know, you knew he was Cowboy Bob Orton's kid. But beyond that, I don't know. It, that era didn't do much for me. I'm a story guy. I'm a character guy. I didn't fall into anybody until I, I could kind of understand who they were. When John Cena first came out all muscular in those little trunks, I didn't care. When Randy Orton came out, great shape kid in those trunks, I didn't care. You know, it wasn't until really when Randy hurt himself early on and started doing those vignettes like the, the Orton News Network or whatever it was, where he'd have his arm in a sling and he'd be giving everybody these nothing updates. But there was just something about those. They were so funny and and so like, okay, this is different, that it made me at least start to take notice. That's the first time I remember taking notice in in who this guy was. But, you know, he's 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 had a lot, a lot, of moments, and you know, I feel like a lot of different eras in his career where most people would be defined by them. You know, like most people would be defined by the single era, and Randy's just been able to move and move and move. And it's, I don't even think, I don't even know if he's fully conscious of when he's doing it, but I think that we're finally at a place 20 years in when we look back and we reflect on it, we can go, like, Oh man. Yeah, he did that. Randy's one of those guys that I, I think you don't realize how good he is until you reflect and you go, oh, Jesus Christ, he really is something special. If I could encourage you this week to go back and watch some Randy Orton stuff, I think when I think of single matches, there's probably two single matches that do it for me, and they're separated by a good amount of time. The... The first match, if I was to watch one Randy Orton match this week to kind of, you know, celebrate the GOAT, I would say uh, WrestleMania 31 would probably be my go-to. The Seth Rollins match with Randy Orton, and it's special for a few reasons. You know, one of it, it's, it's special because Seth Rollins is about to do the unthinkable and we don't even realize it. You know, I think a lot of people expected... Seth to win that match he was riding a high because they didn't realize he would come back later in the night and take the title away from Brock and from Roman but really I mean just the finishing sequence of that match Seth missing you know the top flippy rope move and rolling through it and then Randy going for something and then Seth avoiding it and Seth getting the best of him, going for the stomp. And I mean, to me, you know, you can look at the recent Chad Gable uh, RKO when he caught him after the moonsault. You can look at the Evan Bourne RKO when Evan Bourne was doing the 450 or whatever it was. And that one was amazing because Randy popped up from the floor. Randy was flat on his back and popped up and still pulled that off. But to me, my favorite RKO ever is this one at WrestleMania 31 when he pops up from the stomp and nails Seth with the RKO. That to me is when it was like, okay, RKO out of nowhere is fun, but this guy's doing things that humanly shouldn't be possible. The level of risk to take to try to pull that off on a stage as big as WrestleMania 31 is absolutely insane. 
So there's that WrestleMania 31 match, and then I would probably also go to the match with uh, Mick Foley or Cactus Jack or whatever uh, incarnation he was wrestling as. The Backlash 2004 match, the one after WrestleMania 20. WrestleMania 20, it's Rock and Sock versus Evolution three-on-two handicap match where Randy gets the pinfall victory over Mick Foley. But I, 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 it's the street fight, the hardcore match. One-on-one, Randy versus Mick at, uh, at Backlash 04 that I think it showed another side of Randy. It was like, that's one of those matches because they pull out the thumbtacks, they pull out the weapons, they do everything. And that, that's one of those moments for Randy where all the tricks are stripped away, right? It's no longer about the talking or the psychological mind games or whatever they want to do, right? It's this, this isn't, now we've stripped all that away and we're seeing this character in an actual wrestling match. And it's Mick Foley's match. This guy has to fight harder than Mick Foley does. This guy has to injure Mick Foley worse than Mick Foley's going to injure him. And we see him do it. And it's a, it's a very triumphant thing. Not, not the result, but the match itself, I think, is a very triumphant thing for Randy Orton because you do come out of that match, and, and full credit to Mick Foley, you do come out of that match going, dude, Randy Orton is better than I realized. Randy Orton is the man. And it's amazing how many people have supported Randy, right? When you think about that, when you think a level deeper, you go, the fact that Mick Foley wanted to do that, like he didn't have to come out of retirement. He didn't have to go and and take a pinfall loss to Randy at WrestleMania or whatever. Like he didn't have to do any of that, but he did. Probably on some level because he believed in Randy Orton. And there's a bunch of guys that you go through and, and there was something very early on that they were all like, yeah, yeah. This is, this is the guy, you know? You can go back and obviously look at Triple H. I would say if there's two greatest rivalries, when you, when you just look at straight rivalries in the career of Randy Orton, John Cena is number one, obviously, but I think Triple H comes in at number two. And that's exactly what I'm talking about with Mick Foley, that Triple H had finally gotten to this place in his career where he had just cemented, right? The early 2000s, Triple H had just cemented himself as one of the top guys. And he spent his entire career trying to get there, right? He spent his entire career uh, going against uh, uh, Rock and Austin and Mick Foley to an extent and, and, and kind of making sure that he had a place in that conversation. And once he did have a place in that conversation, very quickly, he saw Randy Orton and Batista and was like, let's let's do something with this. Let's take this newfound status and let's push these guys forward. And clearly there was something about Randy Orton that Triple H just said like, yeah, I, I, I want to use my power to help this guy out. And Triple H isn't the only one that did that. The Undertaker did it. The Undertaker didn't, at, at, at the point in his career, Randy Orton was doing this legend killer thing. And... There was absolutely no reason that The Undertaker had to have a long-term rivalry with Randy. There was certainly no reason why The Undertaker had to take pinfall loss to Randy Orton. SummerSlam, Randy Orton beat The Undertaker. There was real consideration, and it made sense. When Randy Orton fought The Undertaker at WrestleMania, there, Randy Orton was really the first person who was thought maybe he'll be the one that beats the streak, and it would have made sense if he had. But just the fact that Undertaker wanted to be shown in a competitive light with Randy Orton shows that the Undertaker obviously thought there was something, thought that Randy Orton had a considerable long-term benefit to the business. And thank God, The Undertaker, Triple H, Mick Foley, thank God they're all wrestling geniuses because they were all right. They were all right about Randy. And, you know, he, 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 it took him a while to figure himself out, but it would take all of us a while, I think, in that position to figure ourselves out. I mean, let's talk about evolution and the fact that Triple H, you know, boosted this guy up. But once Triple H boosted this guy up, you know, there's a history in the WWE of young people who have gotten opportunities 
who the audience just doesn't buy, right? That they get put on this pedestal and they still can't make it happen because the audience is sitting there going like, no, I don't think so. No, I guess you see something, but we don't see it. Yeah, it was very different for Randy. I feel like the minute they put him on that pedestal, maybe the only thing that they did wrong at that point was to make him a, a good guy. And I'm sure that's because, like, look, he's he, he has a baby face. He's a young, clean-cut, athletic guy. You would think he'd be built to be a, 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 a good guy. But no, no. Villain is in Randy Orton's blood. You can see that, by the way. If you want to celebrate Randy Orton when you're done watching that WrestleMania match with Seth Rollins and you're done watching that Backlash match with Cactus Jack, go on the Peacock and watch the WWE Evil episode of Randy Orton. And normally I wouldn't advertise it because I'm not in it, but watch the Ric Flair one because I'm in it. And then watch the Randy Orton one, just specifically for the scene where Randy is, is describing how he gets into that villain character. And, and what he wants to draw out of people with it. And it's such a different thing. It's it's not, people say that they don't want to be the cool bad guy, you know, that's becoming more and more of a thing as people kind of go back to embracing being a, a heel in the truest sense of the word. But for Randy, it doesn't even occur to him. For Randy, it's about really like, and that's a difficult thing to do becoming the worst version of himself, becoming the guy that everybody doesn't like. And his whole face changes as he describes how he becomes this guy and, and how he's able to now draw emotion out of the audience. It's really, it's really, really remarkable. You know, I think uh, John Cena is maybe, you know, all those guys are essential to Randy Orton coming up or to the build of Randy Orton. But in terms of Randy Orton being, you know, on that Mount Rushmore of the era, people get crazy when I talk about Mount Rushmores, but I mean of the era. I think John Cena is probably his most important opponent, and I think John Cena is probably his most important opponent overall. You know, you talk about John Cena rivalries, and as much as I love the John Cena-Edge rivalry, it would be a real conversation to figure out if that was a more important John Cena rivalry than the Randy Orton one. The Randy Orton one definitely lasted longer. And I feel like you just, like, Randy Orton is more that guy who would come in as the villain. And there are multiple instances of Randy having those John Cena matches where you would go and go back to TLC 2013, I want to say, where they unified the WWE and the World Championship. This was, yeah, it's a TLC match, so I think it was the TLC pay-per-view. And it's John Cena versus Randy Orton, and I think a lot of people went in just assuming, of course John Cena's going to win. He's John Cena. And Randy wins. You know, and there, and, and that happened a few times where it's like, there was something different about Randy. He wasn't just the bad guy with credibility that was being brought in so that the hero could win. A lot of times they'd go, you know what? Randy wins this one. And Randy ends up walking out with the two titles, you know? When you needed, when you wanted, and like, you know, historically was this the right thing to do? Maybe not overall. But when Daniel Bryan won the WWE Championship for the, for, I think it was for the first time at SummerSlam, before WrestleMania and Triple H turned on him and they needed somebody to go like, okay, we need somebody that will be an absolute villain. It was Randy that came out and, and uh, 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 cashed in the money in the bank and pinned Daniel Bryan, the antithesis of a Daniel Bryan champion, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there's a lot to talk about with Randy Orton, and I think that the, he just looking at the career that that guy has had, forgive the interruption, but think about this. Was there anything better as a child than professional wrestling? How about when your mom would surprise you with a sweet frozen treat on a warm spring day? That was pretty good, wasn't it? Yes. Well, Steven Singer, 
He's here to help you thank mom for all the sweet memories you have with her. I remember at one point my mom gave me a creamsicle while I was watching WrestleMania 8. And it was the best damn day of my entire life. How can I thank her for that? As an adult now, as I reflect on watching Ric Flair versus the Macho Man Randy Savage, and I'm scarfing down the creamsicle that was given to me with such love. How can I ever say thank you? Well, how about with a new 24-karat gold-dipped rose? In what color? How about creamsicle? Yeah. It's a mouth-watering, creamy orange color. And the best part, it's never going to die. It's never going to melt. Give mom a gift that is guaranteed to last a lifetime. Something that will be around much longer than a grocery store flower. Those are for idiots. Picture it. A real long stem rose dipped and trimmed in pure 24 karat gold with light peach petals and preserved to last a lifetime. It's the sweetest way to tell mom how much the little moments meant. Mother's Day is just around the corner. It's early this year. So get Steven's exclusive creamsicle 24 karat gold rose before they're gone. Go to IHateStevenSinger.com today to order with fast and free shipping, free personalized love note, and free Lifetime guarantee. You see the entire collection for only $59. That's where it starts. Only available at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers. Real jewelers for your real love. Yes. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. And when we talk about whether this is the full, you know, Randy Orton retrospective show that I'm sure at some point I'll do in some way, shape, or form, you know, I don't think it is. I think if you look at Ric Flair's career, can you imagine doing the Ric Flair retrospective as WCW is coming to a close? Can you imagine doing a Ric Flair retrospective, you know, 20 years? You would have missed the whole third act of Ric Flair. Can you imagine doing a Shawn Michaels retrospective after he retired after WrestleMania 14? You would have missed his entire second act. You know, I I, I think that that... Randy, it's important that we all celebrate him 20 years in, but I also think that uh, he is, he's still going to do a lot. A lot of people bring up the, you know, the most world title victories. Is Randy going to be the one to beat Ric Flair's record? If anybody can do it, right? I think it's him. I think uh, at this point, John Cena not being full-time kind of ends that conversation. You know, if Randy's around for another 10 years, because the idea of Randy Orton being a world champion again, and I think the next time Randy Orton is a world champion, it's going to be a big deal. It's been a long time since Randy Orton was in that kind of world champion serious conversation, right? And I think that in the time since he's been in the title picture, the Randy Orton appreciation is at an all-time high. Randy Orton appreciation is 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 big. You know, this uh, RK Bro, make no mistake, RK Bro has rejuvenated everything about Randy Orton, not just in him as a performer and and what he's doing in the ring, but RK Bro has rejuvenated, I think, fan support in Randy Orton. RK Bro. And the fact that it works as well as it does has made people, I think, really look at the entire career of Randy Orton very differently. And I love that it's happening, man. I think it's great. And I think that, yeah, coming off of RK Bro, or, you know, it's interesting because when that tag team formed, it seemed like the only reason it was being formed was so eventually Orton could turn on Riddle and we could do a good guy Riddle versus bad guy Orton match. And it almost feels like that inevitability just started to be pushed off and pushed off. You know, first it was like, they'll probably do it three weeks from now. And then it was like, okay, they'll probably do it at the next big pay-per-view. And then it was like, okay, they're probably waiting until WrestleMania. And then WrestleMania comes and they realize like, no, they just need a, a moment to be showcased as an amazing tag team. And now we're heading into WrestleMania Backlash. And as of now, RK-Bro has the biggest match on the pay-per-view. So the question is, when that tag team does go away, 
I, it's almost like I don't know if fans will want Randy Orton to be a bad guy. At this point, do you want Riddle to turn on Randy? No. Do you want Randy to turn on Riddle? No. Look at what has happened with the New Day. They've figured out a way to protect the New Day brand and still make two different members of that three-man team WWE champion. I feel like the move, as I'm looking at it today, that the move with RK-Bro, when you eventually want to turn them into singles stars again, is to let them still be friends. Like, don't do the breakup. Don't do the big match. Don't do the big angle. Don't turn one of them. You know, I, I think Randy has at least right now one more babyface world title run in him. You know, I, I, I think we could easily get to a point where Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton is a serious match with Randy Orton as a good guy. I think it'd be great. Who knows, man? Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, who knows what's even going to happen at WrestleMania Backlash? We saw on uh, SmackDown this week, it appears that the idea of Shinsuke versus Roman Reigns, which really looked like it was happening two weeks ago. You know, I thought when Shinsuke got laid out by the Usos, that the whole purpose of that was to put him in a title match with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania Backlash. And while I know people would say, I don't know how Shinsuke would all of a sudden become this main event guy. That is, as I've talked about before in the podcast, it's been kind of the story. I think I think it was last year at WrestleMania Backlash that Cesaro ended up in a universal championship match with Randy uh, with Roman Reigns. So I kind of thought that's where they were going with Shinsuke. But who knows? I mean, I, I'm definitely feeling seeds planted for Drew McIntyre. You know, it sounds like and seems like and feels like the Drew McIntyre-Roman Reigns match is quickly drawing near. Will it happen at WrestleMania Backlash? I mean, let me look at the date of WrestleMania Backlash so I, I know exactly how many weeks there are. Because my gut says that you don't have that match at WrestleMania Backlash. My gut says you save that match for, I guess, either Hell in a Cell or Money in the Bank. Well, you know, I guess if we're starting it already, it would have to be uh, Hell in a Cell in June before Money in the Bank in July. Yeah, Backlash is, WrestleMania Backlash is May 9th. So, what is it, 23rd, 30-day, April 30th? You know, this coming SmackDown will be the last one. You got two SmackDowns left before WrestleMania Backlash. And it doesn't seem like that's enough, especially since Drew McIntyre is at the moment doing the thing with Sami Zayn. It doesn't seem like that's enough to set up Roman Reigns versus Drew. It, stranger things have happened. But it just seems like we're at least one pay-per-view away from that. Maybe Roman doesn't wrestle at WrestleMania Backlash. I don't I don't know. I don't know. I guess I guess we'll wait to see because you also have to look at it timing-wise, right? A big thing happened over the weekend which is Tyson Fury, who's been involved with WWE stuff before. Of course, he was in the match in uh, Saudi Arabia, I want to say, against Braun Strowman, right? And, and you know, has, has, has been outwardly supportive of WWE. It's pretty clear that he's not done there. He had a boxing fight on Saturday uh, in England against Dillian White and knocked him out. But everybody's talking about the fact that this could be Tyson Fury's last boxing fight, that he could be retiring from boxing after this. And somebody brought up the WWE at the press conference and whether uh, whether Tyson will be involved with the WWE in the UK, which it's like, OK, now now we're starting to put pieces together. Right. Like clearly. If Tyson Fury has another match coming up this year with WWE, it should be at the show in England that's in a stadium. If you're trying to sell out a stadium in England and you've got a Tyson Fury match coming up, that feels like the night that it should be on. And Tyson Fury said as much. He didn't confirm anything, but he said to watch out for him there. And then he advanced it further and said, watch out for him at SummerSlam. 
SummerSlam is in Nashville. So it sounds like, and then he mentioned Drew McIntyre by name. Now, Drew McIntyre has been in interviews saying that he would like to fight Tyson Fury. And after winning his boxing fight at the press conference, Tyson Fury brought up the UK show, he brought up SummerSlam, and he brought up Drew McIntyre. So, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to guess that at SummerSlam, they're going to start an angle with Drew McIntyre and Tyson Fury, which I think would be great. I love the idea of actually starting an angle at SummerSlam with Tyson Fury. If you're going to do the September match in the UK stadium show, you know, it's Tyson Fury. You could just announce you're doing it and be done, but I'd far prefer and think it'd be far more compelling and far more newsworthy if you had Tyson Fury show up at SummerSlam and then on a couple of SmackDowns leading to the big UK show. But if you're going to do Drew McIntyre versus Tyson Fury at the UK show, then, I mean, does he cost Drew a match with Roman at SummerSlam? Does Drew have a couple of matches with Roman before SummerSlam to get that out of the way? And then do something else at SummerSlam to start this, this rivalry with Tyson Fury? I don't know. There's a lot of spinning plates up in the air for the rest of the year in WWE that makes it very difficult to kind of predict. And a lot of very big shows coming up, you know? You've got, you've got WrestleMania Backlash and Hell in a Cell, which are both arena pay-per-view shows in May and June. But then the first weekend of July, you've got Money in the Bank in a stadium. The last weekend in July, you've got SummerSlam in a stadium. Then you've got the first weekend in September, a stadium show in the UK. Then theoretically, I think they're saying in October, you may have a stadium show in Saudi before Survivor Series in November. So you're potentially looking at Money in the Bank, SummerSlam, UK show and Saudi show. Four shows back to back to back to back. And they would all theoretically be very big shows, like bigger than your average WWE pay-per-view. That's going to take us to Survivor Series in November. And then we're two months away from the Royal Rumble. Do you understand the size that the WWE is operating on all of a sudden? It's bigger than ever. It's crazy if this is literally how it's going to like pan out. Like what I'm saying is take a couple of breaths now and in June. Because once July hits, we're off to the races until October. Then we're going to be able to breathe until Survivor Series. And then boom, we're a month away from day one and the whole thing starts all over again. It is insane. And I can't wait to see it. I love it. Just getting my 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 senses turned upside down. Uh, there's big rumors, by the way. Speaking of big rumors, so the two things that I found very compelling were the Tyson Fury thing, and I absolutely believe Tyson Fury versus Drew McIntyre will happen at that UK pay-per-view. I just don't think Tyson Fury would be popping off at the mouth about it if it wasn't already happened. Now, look, stranger things have happened. You know, the reverse, because it's Tyson Fury bringing it up and not Drew McIntyre bringing it up, I feel like... Well, you know, don't forget, leading into WrestleMania 25, there was all that stuff with Mickey Rourke and Chris Jericho. And because Mickey said the wrong thing too early, his people got involved and the whole thing fell apart. So, of course, the whole thing could fall, fall apart, but I don't see that happening. Tyson Fury is not up for an Oscar that his people are going to try to protect himself from, you know. And by the way, Mickey absolutely should have done the match with Jericho at WrestleMania in hindsight. Didn't Wouldn't have cost him one thing. But, yeah, I just don't see it falling apart unless it falls apart, which it could. The other thing that I found interesting is, uh, uh, of course, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk of Bret Hart lately. Uh, and a lot of that is coming from the AEW side of things, I think because the Owen Hart tournament, or I, I guess the matches happening right now are Owen Hart qualifying matches, right? But the Owen Hart tournament is underway in AEW. And you've got FTR 
doing Bret Hart tribute stuff and talking about Bret Hart on tribute uh, on 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 Twitter and CM Punk also doing Bret Hart tribute stuff. I mean, it's I I've been really enjoying. I love that the CM Punk Darby Allen match was a tribute to the Bret match with one two three kid. I love that the CM Punk Dustin Rhodes match. Like if you look at the moves and go side by side, was a tribute to Bret Hart's match with Goldust in WWE. Like they're. FTR and CM Punk are digging deep and doing their research. So, of course, I'm watching going, oh, boy, with the tournament happening and the fact that he's getting so much love. Look, I have a philosophy in life. I like to support the people who support me. I like to like the people who like me. I like to be around the people who want me around. That's just me. I don't sit there trying to impress people that don't like me. You can figure it out on your own. I will instead try to be around the people that celebrate me. That's a philosophy that's worked for me. And I could see that being a philosophy that would work for Bret Hart as well. So as I'm watching, I'm going like, I wonder if Bret's going to go in. And I don't want Bret Hart to go to AEW, and probably because I'm a WWE homer. And, and, and there's just something about those legacies, you know, those legacies that get built. And like, look, there's two things at play, right? I don't want Bret Hart to go to AEW, but I also want Bret Hart to be honored properly in WWE. It's it's a two-phase battle plan, right? But the 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 rumors came out this week from David Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer that even though it seemed like we were gearing up to a a a situation where maybe Bret Hart would manage FTR or something like that. You know, FTR got rid of Tully Blanchard and they'd just been talking about it so much that it seemed like maybe Brett was going to come in and manage them in AEW. And, you know, having legends come in and manage talent is something AEW has done. But the wrestling observer and with the Owen Hart tournament, maybe he'd make an appearance or something like that, crown the winner, who knows. But the wrestling observer said that Brett Hart had signed a, as they put it, lucrative contract with WWE and it's made it so that, and it's just a legends deal, a merchandise deal, but it's made it so that Bret Hart uh, can't and won't be on AEW television, which I get, you know, if I'm running a business, I'm probably doing the same thing. If I'm running a business that's not WWE, I'm trying to get Bret Hart on TV. If I'm running a business that is WWE, I'm trying to keep Bret Hart off my competition's TV. But what I would love to see WWE do with Bret Hart is kind of what they did with Cody Rhodes. I think that the, the Cody Rhodes thing is so smart because WWE is kind of working towards eliminating criticisms that might stop wrestlers from going over to them when there's an alternative. You know, I, I, I'm positive. And I don't know this for a fact. I haven't actually spoken to anybody over there. But I'm positive that for some of the kind of higher tier people in AEW, they're looking at the presentation of Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania, on Monday Night Raw, at live events. And they're going, wow. When WWE puts their machine behind somebody, they really put their machine behind somebody. And they're not afraid to make stars out of guys that have been here. It's a big deal. I think WWE could go a step further and start going like, look, I know we developed a reputation for not using legends well. You know, I think that that's what, that's what people, I don't know if the legends were saying that. I don't know if people who work anywhere were saying that, but I know the people, wrestling fans, you know, the opiners. When like Big Show went over to AEW, Mark Henry went over to AEW, when that wave started happening, it was like, well, WWE isn't treating their legends right. And it's like, okay, well, what if we did? You know, I think there are a, few, a handful, not all, but I think there are a handful of, of, of legends that could do a lot of good within WWE. You know, before he asked for his own release, Ric Flair was a, was a, was a pretty regular, uh, uh, per, uh, a person who appeared pretty regularly on WWE. I think putting Bret Hart 
on WWE programming at this point would be a really good thing. You know, we talked about Randy Orton and the appreciation that's developed for him. I think time has been very, very kind to the legacy of Bret Hart. You know, I think that that as time has passed, people appreciate Bret now more than ever. And there is this, there, there, there is this thinking of like, man, he really was good. And part of that is because with most wrestlers, even when they're really good, their matches don't fully stay on the test of time. You can always appreciate them for what they are. But it's like you watch that going like that is a product of that time period. Bread is so timeless, right? That I, I think it changes that perception. So I was thinking about like, what could WWE do with Bret Hart now that would make it interesting? Because obviously Bret can't compete. And we've done that already, right? We did the sort of, let's put a bow on the Bret Hart story in WWE. We had the WrestleMania match, Vince versus Bret. We had Sean and Bret hug it out in the ring. Like that's done. So the question is, and, I, and I, I think that that's something that we see in wrestling sometimes that I think we have to start thinking about differently. You know, when a legend comes in, it's like, how do we add to their story? How do we put a bow on their story? How do we relate it to that? And it's like, what if the legend was being used to add to somebody else's story? What if the legend was coming in like Mick Foley did to an extent and using his credibility to push forward a story that's being told now. And I think that Bret Hart is an ideal candidate for that. I was thinking about if I was in a, 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 a meeting, how would I pitch using Bret Hart in WWE? Because if you're going to keep him off the competitions TV, you might as, obviously he's got a value. Might as well put him on your TV, right? I'd watch if Bret was on. And what I think would be really cool because when I think about Brett, some of my favorite Brett stuff, obviously the matches are the matches, right? And some of my favorite matches happened in the early 90s. That run of like SummerSlam 91 into WrestleMania 8, into SummerSlam 92, going into 93, into 94. Like those are, those matches are like, they're untouchable. Perfect. Brilliant. But in terms of the character really coming out, it was the end of his WWE run that I loved. That's when it was, that's when he was running on all cylinders to me. That's when it was like, the matches are great, but now his promos are great. Now his character's great. The storytelling across the board is just awesome, awesome, awesome. So, where do I see Brett going now? And I think if I were to bring Bret Hart in, I would probably pair him up with Cody Rhodes first. Like if I were to bring him in this week, I'd probably just have Brett talking to Cody in the back. And you know, and I and I think you would tell the story of like, look, and you you wouldn't say it, right? But there would almost be a a paternal respect that Cody was showing to Brett, right? You wouldn't say I think of you as a father. You wouldn't use the word paternal, but you would just pick up on it, you know? Because the key to Cody's character right now, what an alliteration that was, is that he wants to win the world title that his dad never won. So his dad's legacy is the thing. Like, Dusty is as much a part of the journey of Cody's character in the WWE right now as anyone is. So if you could bring in somebody from generations past who was a great world champion who is maybe underappreciated the way Dusty was. I feel like if there was anybody that could relate to Cody's plight, it would be Bret Hart. And I think that that's a story that you could tell. And that 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 Cody has found uh, uh, some kind of, I don't know if solace is the word, but th there's a comfort that Cody has found in Bret. Bret gets Cody and Cody gets Bret. And you almost see him as like... Uh, like almost like Arnold Skoland was for Bob Backlund. Like like Brett almost becomes a trainer for Cody. And 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 Cody is on this mission to become the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And Brett's the guy to teach him that. Now the problem is that as we get to maybe say money in the bank, Brett's gonna turn on Cody and side with Seth Rollins.
Because to me, the idea of Bret Hart as a villain in in 2022 is so compelling. And if there is anybody that I think could compliment Bret, that Bret could compliment back, it's Seth Rollins. The idea of Bret Hart and Seth Rollins together has me going nuts. Seth could come out in the glasses. Seth could wear the start wearing a, a leather jacket. Maybe Brett starts wearing a jacket that says Rollins on the back instead of Hitman. I just love the idea of going forward. That's where I would take it. I would have Brett come in as Cody's trainer, right-hand man, only to turn on Cody. And the story that we tell going forward, the story that we tell through the summer of 2022 into the fall is Brett and Seth together as a unit and Brett bringing Seth to the glory that Seth has been looking for. You know, maybe you, 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 you go to money in the bank. You have Seth win money in the bank. Maybe you main event the show with Cody versus Roman. You have Brett turn on Cody in that match. When Cody is confused, Seth comes out, cashes in. He pins Cody. He becomes the WWE champion. Roman keeps the Universal Championship. Doesn't actually lose the match at all. And now Seth is the world champion. And Brett is there with him. I mean, what an image that is. Seth shows up the next night on Raw with Bret Hart by his side and he does the thing where he opens the leather jacket and shows off the belt underneath, the championship title. And now that's the mountain Cody has to climb. Cody has to not only beat Seth Rollins, but he has to beat Seth Rollins under the tutelage of Bret the Hitman Hart. Oh, I love it. I love it so much. It's exactly what I would do. And I would do it right away, man. I'd get started right away. You know, and I think this is the right story to get him to get him started on. Why not? Like I said, there's an appreciation for Bret Hart going on. I'm gonna take full advantage of it. Uh, I did have a a, a a great appreciation for my night out at the matches this weekend. On Saturday, I made the trip up to Poughkeepsie, New York, to watch the Rebellion pay per view live. You know, the Good Brothers were on the podcast last week. You can watch that whole interview, by the way, on the YouTube channel. If you're not already subscribed, youtube.com slash NotSamWrestling is our YouTube channel. We put up clips from the podcast every week, as well as all the interviews. Uh, of course, the interviews go up first at patreon.com slash NotSamWrestling. But you do get to watch all the interviews eventually over at youtube.com slash NotSamWrestling for free. Uh, but I went, so I went to, to watch the pay-per-view live. I don't remember when the last time I saw an Impact show live was. And they don't come around here that often. But they'll probably be back. I mean, you know, they they were in the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, which is the, the classic building. ECW ran a pay-per-view in there. NXT ran a house show there. But it's really well known for the WWE TV tapings that they did there. Superstars used to be there pretty often recording TV, and when you're in the building in its full capacity setup, you see it instantly with the bleachers and everything. Impact pushed, pushed the bleachers back, so they had less capacity than is usual, but in that smaller capacity setup, they sold out, which is a big deal, you know, for, for Impact. I think there were like, you know, 900 people there or something like that. I don't know. It was a good, it was a good showing for impact, especially in Poughkeepsie. So so I have to believe that they'll be back. But I've got to tell you, man, it was a great show. I, you know, watching it, it, it was all great matches. The, the main event was awesome. Moose versus Josh Alexander for the uh, Impact Wrestling Championship. Josh Alexander brought his kid to the ring with him. You know Josh, he's got the beard, he wears the headgear and everything. I mean, this is a match that I remember when Moose beat Josh. Like, Josh Alexander had been Impact Champion for, like, a second before Moose took it away from him. And it was a bummer because the fans were clearly ready for Josh Alexander to be champion. But, man, did they react to every beat of storytelling in this match. That's what really excites me. When I'm watching a wrestling show, it's half of it is 
is the show itself. But it's like, it's one thing to be great in the ring. It's another thing to get the fans reacting the way they should be reacting to what they should be reacting to. And these guys had that in spades, man. It was it, it was so much fun to watch. It was just, it was a good old wrestling show, you know? There weren't any bad matches on it. Uh, I thought, uh, not only did, and Josh Alexander is one of those guys that, you know, I feel like he's just getting ready to really click in. He's so good, Josh Alexander. He is so incredibly good. And he's exactly the guy that Impact should have the title on. Because I feel like at any moment, everything is going to click in for this guy. And he's going to be the guy that the world is talking about. And you want, when the world talks about him, they're already starting. But when the world is talking about him, you want him to be wearing your company's championship. You know, I, I I look at those shows and I go like, who here would like WWE or AEW be interested in signing? Or or if I was running a promotion like that, who would I report back on? And Josh Alexander is top of the list. I mean, he's so good. And I'm so glad he won the uh, the world title and that it was effective. Right. And that 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 everybody reacted to everything they were supposed to react to. The tag match had that, too. It was a, a gauntlet match, eight teams. Uh, you know, Eric Young's team was in there, and the uh, Honor No More team was in there, the X-Ring of Honor guys, the Good Brothers, uh, Hawkins and Ryder, the major players were in there, uh, Zicky Dice and Johnny Swinger. Um, you know, guy, uh, forgive Heath Slater and Rhino were in there, and that was another one where I feel like, you know, because there were matches where the crowd was quieter, than I would have expected them to be. At the beginning of the show, the crowd was quiet. And I think that was just the crowd. It's just that happens sometimes. But they really started to come alive. And in that tag match, uh, they came alive uh, significantly. Uh, like they, That was another one. Ishii versus uh, Jonah, the former Bronson Reed. Great. Great match. That was another one where, like, I, was, I, I loved that match because when Bronson Reed went out to the apron to climb the ropes, you actually heard a gasp. Like, you heard the shock. <gasps> like, oh, no! Like, the audience feared what was about to happen. And it's like, what is this, the 1980s? This is perfect. This is awesome. I thought, uh... I also thought Ace Austin had a really good showing in the X Division triple threat match. You know, there's a lot of great talent in impact a lot of great talent like i look at that show and i go the problem is not the talent not that they're even not to say that there's clearly a problem right but but when you look at impact and it's like what does impact have to do to to really shine as the third top three promotions like what, what like what do they have to do to grow and you know i i personally i personally think that that if they just got the word out a little bit more, and I guess it's easier said than done. Because when I watch the show as a wrestling fan, I go, that was a great show. They got a great commentary team with uh, the former Aiden English and the former Tom Phillips on commentary together. You know, everything works. The set looks good. It looks professional. It looks, you know, well-lit and everything. It, you know, it, it looks like a, a, a money show. It looks good. I think it's a matter of maybe getting your stars out there a little more and maybe getting your clips out there a little more, right? Like maybe maybe trying to look for spots on shows that we can make into gifts that we can get out on social media kind of immediately. I think that you definitely need that. I think that every wrestling promotion needs to do that. Um, get stuff on YouTube right away. Get stuff on Twitter right away. Um, but I also feel almost like, okay, if you're going to run venues like eight or 900 seat venues for pay-per-views, that's perfect. But in that case, I wish you could find like a three or a 400 seat venue for television. Like I kind of wish that impact would run scaled down versions of the show for TV. So just so it looked different, right? Because the one thing that you don't want to look like is you're trying to fit 
a WWE or an AEW production into a smaller building. You want to kind of really embrace what you're doing. And I think Impact can and is doing that to an extent. But like, I know they're taping TV or they taped it, I guess at this point, this will come out Monday. So Sunday, they're taping TV in the same building. And so the TV will probably look pretty similar to the pay-per-view. You know, I, I, I think that, that even when you're running smaller buildings, I feel like making the pay-per-views look bigger is only going to make the product look bigger. And it's going to feel like you're adding value to your pay-per-views. So I guess I would do that um, and really just make sure that the, the stories of your characters are being told, right? Like, like, like making sure that as many people as you can see a, a, a video package on Josh Alexander because there's no way that a wrestling fan would not be sold on the story of Josh Alexander. It's just a matter of getting it in front of wrestling fans because I feel like that product, like if you got it in front of wrestling fans, like for instance, when AEW announced the Forbidden Door pay-per-view and they go, and Ishii is going to be wrestling on Rampage against Adam Cole, people are like, holy shit. Or even Jay White showing up. Jay White showing up on Dynamite to help announce the pay-per-view. People were like, oh my God, Jay White's here. And it's like, dude, Jay White's been an impact for weeks. Maybe months at this point. Ishii's going to be at the impact pay-per-view too. Like all this stuff is happening over there. So it's almost just like making fans aware of what a big deal it is. Because I think it can be a big deal. It was a really, really great show and I appreciate the hospitality from Impact uh, getting in there and everything. Um, I think that the uh, AEW New Japan show is going to be a biggie. I think it's going to be a biggie because I was going through the roster and at first I was like, well, a lot of the New Japan guys have kind of either already been in AEW or been in Impact. So it's like the whole reason to do this is to do matches you never thought you were going to see. But then I realized how much more expansive the uh, the the roster is for New Japan than I was kind of giving credit for. Because you've got, not only do you have Jay White, who I feel like Jay White in a high-profile match against a big AEW talent could be really, really cool. But you've also, and of course, bringing Ishii back, bringing Minoru Suzuki back, like, yeah, sure. But the idea of seeing Okada, Will Ospreay, Jeff Cobb, Abushi, what like are we gonna get a, a Golden Lovers reunion? What side is Kenny Omega gonna be on? Tanahashi. There's a lot of big stars in New Japan. That's gonna be really cool to see match with AEW guys. And I also think the storytelling that you can do. Like if it were me, I would make it so you know the elite guy, and I don't know. I guess Kenny Omega is injured, so I don't know if Kenny Omega will be back for the pay per view or not. But I would love to see a scenario where it's like the elite guys don't know if Kenny Omega is on their side or not. Because is he on Ibushi's side? Like, continue telling that story. But I also kind of like the idea of Blackpool Combat Club, which is the William Regal faction with Brian Danielson and John Moxley and Wheeler, Utah. I think that has the potential to be one of the coolest things in AEW. I love the idea of them not being fully on board with AEW. Like of them almost trying to represent themselves. Not being on board with New Japan, but not be like, we're not here to fight for AEW. We're here to fight for the Blackpool Combat Club, the BCC. As far as we're concerned, it's New Japan or whoever we've got versus the BCC. Just like every time we're on Dynamite, it's AEW versus the BCC. We represent ourselves. I think that'd be a cool spin to put on it, you know? There's a lot of potential there. A lot of things you could do. I hope they do a lot of them. I think it could be a lot of fun. Look, speaking of a lot of fun, don't forget to hit us up on Patreon at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Uh, we do a bonus podcast every single week. The videos go up first. The podcasts go up first. You can watch the podcast recording live uh, if you're a Patreon member. Uh, we also have Discord uh, that is active 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And uh, we do Zooms every week for the Hall of Famers. And then for uh, the top two tiers, we do Zooms before pay-per-views. So it's a lot of fun. A lot of fun stuff is going on over there. YouTube.com slash NotSamWrestling is the place to get it for free. If you don't want to, uh, if you don't want all the additional content available 
at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. You can just go and watch a couple videos for free at youtube.com slash notsamwrestling. Hit the subscribe button. Uh, also, follow on, uh, on, on Twitter and everything, and uh, be right back here next week for another episode of Not Sam Wrestling. We'll see you then, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not 